0: We got a all of them are at uh, our youth or at Green Valley Bible camp. So that's I think that's really I went when I was when I was a kid. Hadn't been that long ago. <laughs> but yeah, we wanna wanna keep them in our prayers uh this week. It uh, especially with the heat, they can get little bit of a breeze because of the mountain, you know, little hills in the area uh, so the nights aren't near as bad but it's still pretty rough during the daytimes. So like I said we need to keep them in our prayers this week. If you have your Bibles uh, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30 Deuteronomy chapter 30. that's where we'll start tonight's sermon even with when we look out and we think well we're low in our numbers and all that let's always remember two or more are gathered there will be also so doesn't matter if there's there's two or two hundred we'll worship God the same way so while you're doing that turning to Deuteronomy chapter 30 I want to start by asking a question and I just want you to think about your answer I don't no, I'm not looking for any responses. I don't even don't want to see hands or anything, but I just want you to honestly think about your answer. How many have a daily Bible reading plan and adhere to it? And I mean like daily. Every day. Or we gotta be realistic. Uh, you know, life gets in the way. We understand that, but let's let's put it at 75%. Let's lower the bar a little bit, because, like I said, we know we know people are busy. Life happens. Uh, things happen. Kids need attention. Work gets in the way. About the time something happens, then we got to sit down and cook. You know, get back up and cook dinner, or get everything cleaned back up. So, like I said. But having a daily Bible reading plan and at least adhere to it at least 75% of the time. Did you know current statistics state that there's only 11% in the U.S. that claim to read their Bibles daily? 11%. Now, just roughly, rounding numbers off, depends on who you look, you know, which statistics you look at. There's 330 million is a population in the United States of all age groups. And the age for 14 and below, there's about 30 million. So that makes the U.S. population that's over the age of 14 you ever take a few million, 300 million people, if 11%, let's just take it down to 10, that's 33 33 million people only, 33 million people in the United States, read their Bibles daily. Worse than that, that means there's 267 million people that don't So, my question tonight is why? And when you're preaching to a Sunday night group, you know, you, you've got a more faithful group. So, you know, that, that number is probably pretty high in here as to those that have a di- daily reading program. But if we just round things off, 90% of the people in the United States, it gets worse in other countries. Again, you know, they, they don't have a daily uh, Bible reading program. So, what about, what are some of the excuses as to why people don't read their Bible? Too busy? Don't have enough time? I start to, but I lose interest. Or I start to, and just as soon as I sit down, I got to get back up and deal with the kids or I try every night but works so hard through the day that I just can't, I just can't do it and I think I've had just about every excuse on on that myself over the years because I'm not, I'm no different than anybody else. So I'm asking myself, you know, this same question. My point is if we have to stand before God and He asks us the same question, how often did we read our you know read His Word, what's our answer gonna be? Not to copy a popular hymn, but what is your answer gonna be? And I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about this question, applying it to myself. Can I feel comfortable with the number that I that I that I give? The thing is to about why people don't read their Bibles, the most common excuse I hear when I've talked to people is, the Bible is just simply too hard for me to understand, or I try but I just can't understand it, and then lose interest. Did you know there are even some religions out there that teach that the Bible cannot be understood by the average person? That it can only be rightly divided and understood by a few select people and intellectuals. That they are the ones responsible to read and understand God's word, and that they will tell you what to believe. They put together a little book they call a creed book, and inside that is what we're supposed, you're supposed to believe by their opinion. So let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Start with verses 11 and we'll go through 14, and we'll start here and hear exactly what the Bible says about reading and understanding of God's word. Starting in verse 11, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will we send into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. It is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Here we see that scripture can be understood, not just by a select few and then interpreted for the masses, But we'll also see that scripture has always been intended to be read or presented to everyone in the assembly. God has always given his word in common language of his people. The Mosaic law was given directly to the people. And they were expected to understand it, what it meant, and how to obey it. Most of the Apostolic letters in the New Testament were in fact addressed and read aloud to the entire congregation, not, not just only to a few elites who were then expected to somehow find a way to explain to the rest of the congregation what it meant. God's word has always been written to and to be understood by the average person. And it's all, it was always delivered to the people in their common language. Great example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27, which says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Here in the scripture, it's plainly stated that God's word was and is expected to be read to all the brethren, not just a select few. And with the invention now, of the printing press, we're all able to have our own personal copy of God's word to read and to understand. Simply put, God intended that everyone who heard the scripture during the assembly would be able to understand its meaning and to make proper application of the things taught. Let's look at a couple of examples of exactly what the apostles intended and the way they delivered God's word. 1 Corinthians two, twelve and 13 states, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Here the Apostle Paul, he's telling the church of Corinth that the things the Apostles had received and freely given by God, that they also delivered to them those things which the Holy Spirit teaches. Note also there at the end of verse 12, the things that have been freely given to us by God not things that are hard to be taught or you know, be bought, not things that have to be sacrificed for, not even to be begged for, but freely given to us by God. And we'll touch on that subject in a few minutes. Another great example is Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three. The apostle Paul here is writing to the Ephesians and tells the saints, there the following Ephesians 3 verses 3 and 4 how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which you when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul is making sure that he delivers exactly what the Holy Spirit delivered to him that he is delivering exactly that to the Ephesians. Paul saying you know exactly that which I know concerning the mystery in Christ. And this is not the only it's not only done by Paul, but all the apostles. John writes in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He's telling us, telling everyone, even us today, that he wrote these things to all believers, all believers of the Son of God, ensuring that we may know that we have eternal life in heaven
1: and that we are able
0: to continue in that in the name of the Son of God. Yeah, the apostles wrote to average people who believed, knowing that they could understand. The Holy Spirit guided these men in all works, knowing that his word would be delivered to the people, to the masses, that they could know God's word. God never intended for his word to only be addressed to a single man or a single group of men to then be interpreted and then their opinion of what it meant be delivered to the masses. That was never intended. God always intended that his word be delivered to the people, unedited, uncorrupted, unopinionated by any man. That the word be freely given to all men everywhere and throughout all time. He also never intended for his word to be peddled by mankind, but freely given with sincerity as from God. Second Corinthians 2.17 says, for we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ, a peddler. A peddler is someone that's trying to trying to sell things, and usually these things are off. They're often inferior to the original product. You know, we, it's what we call junk. The word used here in the Greek for for the word peddler. I'm not going to try to mispronounce it, but it's J-A-P-H-L-E-U-W. It means it's where we get our word huckster. I know there's several of us in here experienced in age that understand the meaning of the word huckster. This is someone who seeks after sordid gain by selling something, usually junk but because the product itself is inferior or not of high quality as the original, the salesman has to resort to trickery and deceit. Ways that someone might peddle their goods or wares, one's outright lying, grandiose claims, deceptive advertising, fake advertising, Used to, they'd have someone out in the crowd who pretended to be a stranger who was actually working with the salesperson, salesman. Some use flashy shows or performances, pressure or intimidation, even false promises. Still common today is to make, make an offer for money-back guarantee. But by the time you try to locate them, you find out that that address or phone number doesn't exist. Unfortunately, there are people who, even today, are making a living by peddling the Word of God for profit or material gain. It's isn't to say we can't pay a preacher or anyone else out of the church's budget, but it does include the making of money off of Christ's church. It does include some of these late-night TV preachers trying to sell things for profit or radio preachers, that's still common in the South. Go down around Louisiana, you'll be a, turn it on to AM, you'll pick it up all night long. But those have, a lot of those have found a niche in the uh, use of the internet. But they beg for money, and then they'll say, if they don't get it, I'm gonna use a favorite phrase, God will call them home. Or the ones who beg for money, but then they use that money for personal use or personal gain. God delivered his word in such a way that the average person can understand it. And in doing so, it avoids those who might peddle his word for personal gain. The apostles wanted to be sure that all who wrote, who they wrote to understood that God's word is freely given to all men everywhere and that they delivered God's word exactly as it was delivered to them, guided by the Holy Spirit, and that they held nothing back. The second point on this, God intends for us to do our homework. The issue is not whether it's possible to understand God's word, because it certainly can be understood by the average person. The issue is accepting the reality that God gave his word in such a way which requires us to use our intellect and reason to understand it. For example, we are all expected to properly discern both good and evil, Hebrews 5.14, and discernment by its very nature is the exercise of reason. In fact, many verses in the Bible teach that we are expected to consider and reason as we study God's Word. Considering the following passages, and note the importance placed on the use of, of our intellect, God expects us to put forth some basic effort in our understanding of His Word. Isaiah 1.18 says, "'Come now, and let us reason together,' says the Lord, "'that your sins are like scarlet, that they may be white as snow, Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now and let us reason together. God intends for us to use our intellect, that's why he gave it to us, and to use our reasoning when we we read his word. Psalm 64, eight says, so he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. Isaiah 28 9 and 10 says whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk or those just drawn from the breasts? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Isaiah's writing, he's he's stating simply that we grow as we study God's word. That as we grow stronger and more mature in the faith, the more we will understand. And in turn, the more we will grow. Matthew 15.10 says, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Hear and understand. We are to pay attention as we read and understand not just skim through it, but read it and study it so that we might be able to understand it. 1 Corinthians 10.15 says, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. Again, judge for yourselves what I say. Read it and understand it. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Paul's telling Timothy that he is to reason, that he's to study, that the Lord might give understanding. Again, the more we study, then learn. The more we understand, the more we understand his word. 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 15 says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Again, Paul's telling Timothy to meditate on these things, which he has written, that Timothy is to apply himself that his progress and his growth in God may be evident to all, so that Timothy is to pay attention in reading and not to neglect it. That part that God, you know, growth in God may be evident to all. Kind of familiar with that, let our our light so shine before men. And finally, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 of whom we have have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who, by reason of use of their senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. And you know, Paul's telling them that he still has much to tell them, but that it's hard to explain because they had become dull of hearing, that they were just hearing words, they weren't hearing the message. They stopped paying attention and stopped studying God's word. That because of this, they were going to have to relearn the first principles of the oracles of God. He's comparing them to a baby who is still drinking milk and can't handle solid food, but that solid food belongs to those who had grown in the word through study and reasoning, instead of a baby, an adult who had grown mature. These passages, they, they clearly show God's, that God intentionally gave his word in a way that would require effort by all who seek to understand it. The fact that it requires effort is no excuse for ignorance or neglect on our part. On the contrary, it points out the seriousness of the task that's before us. We must labor to understand it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test all things, hold fast to what is good. You know, if we are to test all things, then we have to use reasoning and study to find the truth. And once we find it, we're supposed to hold fast to what is good. Third point, it requires study. All truth is not found in just one single, one single verse. Wish it were, it'd make it a lot easier. If you wanted to know about baptism, turn to that chapter, it sure would make it easier. As much as, as, as we want and or that we wish were so, we, do, we, we just simply don't find everything we need to know in a single passage or a single scripture, and nor should we expect such. God never operated in that manner. Example, consider the law of Moses, it was characterized by a great many explicit commands very detailed, very lengthy. Yet even those weren't contained in a single passage or a single chapter. To fully understand Moses' law, and the require, it required careful study of the combined teaching of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Just as he did with Israel so long ago, God has given what we, what we need in order to understand his will. But has done so in a way that requires effort on our part. Again, if we study about baptism, then we need to find every passage, every example of baptism in the New Testament, list it out, and then we can find out everything we need to know about baptism. We're studying salvation. Then we go through the New Testament. We find out every scripture related to salvation, we list them out, and we can plainly see what steps are required for salvation. It requires effort. I think every person in here would agree they'd love it if everything that we needed to know about a specific subject was located in just one spot. And again, that's just not how God intended it. We must read it, study it, and make that application to our own lives. We see this again in the way that Jesus intentionally spoke in parables. He spoke in parables at times so that his hearers would have to think about what his words meant. He also knew that there were those who had no intention of ever accepting his word and they were only there to work against him. So intentionally Jesus delivered several things in parables. Same is true today If if we read and study God's word we can understand the message. God intended us to use our some form of effort and reasoning to rightly understand his word. I wanna make one thing clear. There's nothing against using a commentary or other study aids that help us understand. This is also part of that reasoning process I don't know how many know, there are several great commentaries that are written by faithful men of the church. and They're they're very good, they're great at helping us understand God's word, especially if you read and study Peter, or Paul rather. Some of his stuff requires a lot of thought. The Truth For Today commentaries, a great tool to help and act as a study aid Doug uses uh, several times he quotes uh, Kaufman, the Kaufman series of commentaries. They are, they're also extremely good. Uh, they've been out of print for a number of years, but they can be found you know on eBay or online or even online bookstores. I use both. I don't have a set of Kaufman commentaries, but I use what's available off the internet. So it's a great tool. World Video Bible School is also a great resource. I use a lot of their videos, notes, and commentaries. That's just a few of the resources that are out there that can help us study God's word. But there's no substitute for reading God's word. Commentaries are a tool God's word is the authority. A lot of times, I've seen people rely on someone's opinion and sometimes that commentaries are also, but they pick up a book on motivation that's written by some religious person, you know, or quotes of the day and there's nothing wrong with those. If they're used right, But if it's not God's word, it's one man's opinion. I'm gonna rely on God's word because I'm the one that's responsible for me. I have to answer for me. Doug says, Steve says, don't don't take my word for it. Look it up, look it up. We need to be opening our Bibles and using our Bibles. We need to be studying our Bibles especially if we go out to teach others. Several years ago, several years ago, (laughs) hit a point in my life that I really thought I knew the Bible. I really did. Or at least enough to get me by. I can even remember making statements or excuses that I've heard all this all my life. Grew up in the church enough that I felt that I would reached a point, yeah, I've heard it all. I was confident that I knew all that I needed to know to be saved and to get into heaven. The more I read and studied, boy, was I wrong. It didn't take long for the good Lord to prove me wrong on that point. But what I found out was that when I first read the bible and studied it I read about God's love for me it was about me and his desire that I be saved it again it was about me but as I kept reading and studying and read the bible again from those same scriptures I learned God uh, about God and his love for the world and that he didn't want anybody to perish, that all would be saved, but that he desired, again, everyone to be saved. He didn't want anyone to perish, but in order to be saved, man had to follow his commands. Again, as I studied even deeper and grew stronger in the faith, the more I studied, I read the same book now telling me that God intended that we are, we're not to be concerned with just ourselves, but that I needed to be concerned about others also. That he intended to, you know, us to reach out to the lost and to spread his word throughout all the world. And somehow it's gone from me to others that I was to be concerned, not just myself. And again, that it's, it wasn't just all about me. And again, the more I studied and the deeper I dug, the more I learned I didn't know near what I thought I did, that I wasn't near as smart as I thought I was either. I'll tell you, each time I think I might be reaching reaching a point of understanding all of God's word, I actually learned that I need to learn, I need to read more and study more, more because even Even more, there's so much more that God has in store for me, that he has in store for us. And it humbles me because that I learn, one, I just didn't near, I didn't know near as much as I thought I did. You know, God, he intends for us to study his word that we might gain the knowledge we need not only to save our own souls, but also the souls of the people around us. Our Lord God and Savior also intends for us to study to show ourselves approved. He intends for us to study his word, to know his will and his desire for his church. How can we know what he he intends for his church unless we read and study his word it fascinates me that you can pick up a book that ha, that's not even based on the bible that it's somebody's purpose driven whatever and somehow that they did d- d- They come up with the rules and how we're supposed to conduct church out of that book from some man's opinion. It amazes me how people do that. God intends for us to study His Word. We have to, to know His will, not just for us, but also for His church. We have to study His Word. You know, Scripture tells us This is one that's always stuck with me for about the last 10 years. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a lot of things that seem on the surface to be right. That's a fantastic idea. Why didn't we ever do that? Because it's not scripturally sound. That's probably why we never did it. We're to check all things, read his word, understand his word, so that we know his will, not just for our salvation, but also for the church. Just because it feels right or it seems right, that don't mean it's right. The only way we can know if it's right, if we seek it out, seek out God's word. Seek out what God's will is. In order to to rightly divide God's word is to read and study God's word. I kind of want to end this with exactly kind of where I started with that question. That day of judgment, what will our answer be? What will we, what will we say? Did we, could we? Woulda, coulda, shoulda, I mean, we used to say that when we were kids. But what will our answer be? Is it enough? I'm asking myself, just um, every time you point your finger that way, you got four, you know, pointing right back at you. I'm asking myself that same question. What will your answer be? If anybody has any needs desire of the church prayers. We always want to make that available. Every time we meet together. We do this so that that opportunity is always there. And we never know when when someone will make that decision. Just know that it's always available.
1: So if anybody has any
0: desires or any needs of the church, you can come forward now as we stand and sing.